Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money. It's a cloudy, somewhat cool Saturday morning here, and I happen to be doing a solo show this morning because all my younger partners are goofing off or taking vacation or doing something else here. Okay, I've been popping around the world here this morning talking about some different and varied financial topics. Let's change the flavor just a little bit here. Okay, so this is an article that was on Yahoo Finance, written by a company called Smart Asset, and a lady by the name of Ashley Kilroy, and the name of the article is, Does Beneficiary Designation Overrule a Will? I got to tell you, folks, this is probably a very common lack of knowledge for many folks on how beneficiaries and wills work. And I'm going to try to clear that up here in about three or four minutes. All right, so I'll do a little reading and then do a little commentary. Some financial products like life insurance or tax-advantaged retirement accounts require you to name one or more beneficiaries. However, that's not the case with many assets. For instance, you can buy a house or set up a savings account without designating who should receive it when you pass away. While beneficiary designations for specific financial products are necessary, they are not sufficient by themselves for con- for creating a comprehensive and holistic, I love that word, retirement plan. Okay, I have a caller. Let's go to Karen in Marshfield. Good morning, Karen. How are you today? How are you, Mike? All righty. What can I help you with this morning? Sure. A lot of us parents are getting our college tuition bill. All right. And it's that time. Everything's due August 1st. My question for you, are, can you take money? And I'm retirement rich, but I'm not at retirement age. Retirement rich. Okay. I like it so far. Yeah. <laughs> for college. What I'd like to do is be able to take out... I thought you could take out $20,000 out of your 401k for college without penalty. And I was curious if you could just confirm that. I can't confirm that because they change those rules all the time. After we get through with our call, if you're comfortable enough to leave an email or a phone call, I will get back to you about that, okay? Okay. But while I have you on the line, okay, okay, are there other, okay, so uh, I don't want to get... The other question I have for you is a lot of people are talking talking about that we are coming out of a recession. Yep. We're at the tail end, we're at the late cycle. What's your position? Okay, that's so funny you say that. I'm working on a client piece that I get out to my clients every month about recession. So, by the way, in a minute I'm going to ask you why you asked that question, but I'm going to give you my response first here. So, first of all, nobody ever knows 
when a recession officially begins or officially ends, okay, be, because that those dates don't happen until you look back and take a look at it. By the way, I don't know if we're in a recession now or not. I don't know if we just left one or I don't know if one is coming, okay? And so they're unpredictable. They have different effects on different people, mostly job and employment are the issues here. But my opinion is, I don't know, but let's get to the important part. Why do you ask that? And maybe I can help you with what was behind your question. Sure. So I just noted, I rebalanced my portfolio and I right around Ukraine and I took a lot of money out of the international and I moved it over uh, into the U.S., my U.S. funds. Okay. And by, and I really was like 35, I was pretty aggressive international. Okay. I mean, I did well. And so now I moved it over to the U.S. and I've been doing well. Like this week, the market's been up. Of course, it went down again. Yep. And my question is like, I know we have an election coming up. I know, depending on the party, I think there's stats that show like Democrat versus Republican coming into office. Yeah. And I'm just curious, should I put more of my money in investment grade bonds? I have a good chunk in high yield right now and yep. they've done pretty yep. well. Yep. So I'm just curious, like your perspective as a small advisor in a small town, yeah. I work typically with larger companies. So sure, great. That's okay. my question. So you work typically with large, okay, now I see you have other financial. Advisor, you yeah, know. Great, great. Okay. By the way, do, do you have a few moments for this call? We're going to have some fun here and I'm going to be very polite. Okay. Do you have a few moments? Oh, or? Sure. Okay. So what what you're doing is what a whole lot of folks do. You're trying to make adjustments on your portfolio based on what you think is going to happen going forward. Did I summarize that correctly? Yeah, slightly. I rebalance my I rebalance my account based upon current news, what I see the market yeah. doing, especially the yeah. bonds and the yeah. interest rates. Yeah. And how that's coming and going. And I did move some of my money a while ago yeah. when COVID happened into high yield. Yep. And I swapped it with high yield and investment grade. And yep. I've done pretty well in that area. Yep. And now the U.S. market has taken off. And I've continued to increase my 401k. And it's, things are going well. So okay. I just, I want to keep them that way. Sure. Okay, and I know that the market's not going to, like if it crashes, <laughs> it's going to rebalance. But I want to be ahead of it. All right. Number one, I'm going to wish you luck with that. And number two, let's have some discussions. So by the way, how long have you been actively? By the way, we're going to have a discussion about the definition of rebalance. I think yours is different than mine, but we'll come back to that. Okay. Uh, okay. So my question is, so you've been involved pretty actively in your investments for a fairly decent chunk of time? Can I, is that correct? I invested 20% of my income since age 20. Great. Okay. So do you have any idea about what your returns on your portfolio have been for the time that you've been doing that. Yeah, for this year, it's about fifteen percent. Okay, how about year to date? Yeah, how about over? Um, how about past, over the long run? Yeah, what do you got? Over the long run. Yeah, how about, uh, actually, I've been up. Okay, so I've been up quite a bit. The market's been on the rise. It only then in the early nineties we have a blip. Yeah. With the tech. Yeah. And then we had a little recession right back yeah. in what the two thousands. Yeah. 
so uh, 2008, yes. rather. Okay. Other than that, my mark, my portfolio has been doing very well, but I also rebalance. But when I rebalance, I also have an asset allocation plan. I have a financial plan. Okay. So I already am meeting with a financial planner. Yep. I think that is key to anybody's financial success. Okay, great. Okay. No matter what you are, you need a plan, right? Sure. Whether it's financial, whatever it is. Yep. But it's all a matter, in my opinion, how much you pay for that plan. Okay. So a few more questions for us. Do you have a precise return going back 5, 10, 15, 20 years on, your, on, on all the actions you've done in your portfolio? I could. I just have to log into Fidelity. Okay. And, and look at what the returns were for going back that far? I could, yeah. Great, okay. All so, of my money has always been a fidelity. Sure, great. Okay, so my, here's my question. Over all of that time, have you, have you between stock and bonds in terms of your mixture and other good things or what? Yeah, yeah of okay. course. Okay. I'm very aggressive. I was all stuck at one point. Yeah. I moved into my 50s. I now am investment grade. So I'm at 85-15 mix. Great, okay. So what would your benchmark be to decide whether your return was good versus the benchmark? What would you use as a benchmark? I, I would use multiple benchmarks actually okay. depending on the asset class okay investment grid I'm trying to think so you know the US it would be S&P yeah okay tech NASDAQ but you your know, whole portfolio uh, blends out as a benchmark of something, right, in terms of the different pieces of it. Oh, it does. Yeah. Uh, right now it's 85.10. Yeah, good. Okay. 85.15, rather. Yeah. The only place I was going with this is that if you have a return for your portfolio, okay, that is equal to or better than whatever benchmark you choose, congratulations, okay, and if it's equal to it, that's one thing. If it's better than it, that's another. So what would your generic answer to that be, high, low, or medium? My generic answer would be is that I'm on benchmark. Okay. Some of my indexes are ETFs. Yeah. I'm trying to track as close to the benchmark as possible okay. and keep my cost of yeah. investing down. Yeah, okay. All right, so that's great. Okay, and so if you're equal to that benchmark, okay, you've been doing that by making it, when you say rebalance, do you have a, an initial allocation and you get back to that or do you change, are you a, a, an investor that does tar, target? I, I don't change all the time, no. Oh, okay, but you, So you, I set it and forget it yeah, uh, and then I go in and I reevaluate it because I want to make okay. certain my plan is right. Yeah. And my husband and I were talking, he's, oh, we should probably put some of our money to cash. Yeah. I'm like, absolutely not. Yeah. We're only 60. Yeah, there you go. Should Good not you. be in cash. Yeah. Okay. All right, so as long as you're equal to the benchmarks, you're doing good. Okay. The way that you've gone about that, I, I, you've been pretty successful at that. So congratulations. There are a lot of people listening to us who probably can't say that. Okay. Okay. From a, a generic. Well, con- I don't know. Is I, like for your, for, so an 85, 15 yeah. mix, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm up 14, like almost 15% this year. Yeah. By the is way. Is that good? Is yeah. that on par? I don't know. What is an 85, 15 mix? I understand. Like, typically. Yeah. And my comment would be that whether it, if it's six months or a year, that the things that you're making some assumptions about are like, they seem to be short term. Are we out of the recession now? Bonds better than stocks? Yeah. And I guess my generic comment, and you seem to be the exception here, my generic comment is number one, it's hard to know the future. Okay. And number two, it's harder to know the future in the financial world short term than it is long term. Okay, and it seems like you've been making some shorter term, and I use one, two, three, five year guess, guesses, estimates, or whatever you want to call it, and you've been very good at that. That's only because I've been watching the financial news. Yeah, I've okay. been watching like war in Ukraine. Obviously, is going to have an issue yeah. in the European markets. 
I'm also watching interest rates. Well, there are little key indicators. My question yeah. to you again is, going back, we're, I think we're coming out of a, I don't know if we're coming out of a recession, but a lot of people talk about it as coming out of a late cycle, yeah. which means that if we're coming into a late cycle, there is going to be a recession, there's going to be a dip, and then it's going to go back up. And we all know that the market goes down and it comes up. And we want to avoid the down, but it's hard to avoid the down, and it's hard to ju- know when to jump back in. So I just try to keep it easy peasy. I have a financial plan, and I try to stick with it. But I do try to make short-term bets if you're thinking short-term is like one, two, or three years out. And, yeah, I'm just curious, again, what do you think is going to happen in the next year? Yeah. If we get a Democrat or a Republican president, depending, I know the market goes different ways yeah. based upon that. Or the sciences, or the history or the numbers have proven that. So my question to you is, what's your opinion? I, what's your opinion on all that? I don't have an opinion, and I don't have a clue would be my response to that. The way that we manage money in our businesses, and it's pretty straightforward. We have a, an asset allocation that lines up with somebody's risk tolerance and needs. Okay, yep. And if you stick with that allocation and don't do any short-term guesses, but rebalance classically sooner or later and over the long run, you're going to achieve your goals. If you're trying to make short-term estimates about what's happening, there's a pretty good chance most of the time most folks are going to be wrong. We believe. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. agree. I agree 100 percent with you yeah. with, the, with the asset allocation in the mix. I yep. get an 8515. Yep. It's just within those asset classes. Yep. I play around, right? Yep. So yep. I have investment grade bond mix. I got high yields. The interest rates have been going crazy. The high yield market's going up. Yep. There's bets you can take yep. within those sub asset allocations that are able to bring you out a little bit of a better return. Yep. And I like that. Yeah, you're 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 in a position. What I'd often say to folks is that if you have the time and the energy and the expertise and the experience to do that, okay, then God bless you. And it seems like you're in that particular niche and congratulations. My, my only comment is, A, I can't help you because I don't play in that niche. And B, there are most of the folks listening to us shouldn't be doing what you're doing. I guess that's the way okay. I would explain that. So, so yeah, we don't, one can't predict the future, okay? One can't know what, you're looking at market-related things. So I certainly get that. The markets are human behavior. Behavior, okay, mm-hmm. and trying to make plays on human behavior, that's a brave bet in terms of where things are going. Our very simple philosophy that hopefully a, a number of folks have is if you own enough stocks over a long enough time and they're diversified enough, those companies are going to make money and grow in value over time. Okay, and so having a sensible allocation and having a bunch of exchange traded funds or mutual funds that reflect that and rebalancing according to when they step out of their ranges, that's a pretty plain vanilla, but pretty long-term effective way, okay, to earn money for folks. And that's where we come from. Yeah. What you're, you yeah, are, yeah, yeah. congratulations, no, I totally get by that. the way. I'm just curious as to where you're making bets in the <laughs> sub-asset yeah. allocation. Yeah. Are you going to be taking more money out of high yield or you're increasing it? Okay. Are you looking at small growth yeah. or are you looking at large okay. within the equity market? Again, I have an asset allocation. I'm looking where you're maybe playing, applying bets yeah. to increase or make some incremental changes or profits for your clients. Yeah. yeah. The short answer to that is we use third-party research to design our asset allocation portfolios. And within those portfolios, 
No, we play the rounded off, diversify it game and don't try to get too specific about making short-term guesses. So don't have an answer for you because we, we don't we don't look in that world. Okay? Gotcha. Yeah, but by okay. the way, you sound like you've done very well and congratulations. Are you, by the way, are you in the financial industry or related? Or? Yeah, no, I, I retired from okay. the financial services yeah, industry. I was sure. in there for 30 years yeah. doing wealth management. Yeah, good um, for you. Actually. So good for you. I have yeah. some knowledge, yeah. but I'm not connected. I yeah. just watch CNBC yeah. or yeah. You know, I read the papers. I see the interest rates go up. So yeah. I'm just curious. I was listening to WATD and I thought yeah. I'd pick up the phone and call no. because everybody yeah. I know is getting a college bill right wow. now. Wow. Wow. Well, well, number one, thank you for the call. You are the exception to the rule and congratulations on ah. that from my point of view. And, and I hope you can keep that up. But no, I don't have a clue about the future. And I think that you can develop a portfolio, okay, that makes sense long term, having it diversified enough to cover a lot of bases and hit singles and doubles as opposed to trying to make the guesses that you're guessing. But congratulations. Good, good Good for you. You're in the minority here, given the circumstances. Uh, All right. It makes me think I might need to move to cash. <laughs> You're making me nervous, lady. You're making me nervous. Good. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. I'm going to keep investing within my fixed income portfolio, but it does. I do think maybe more investment grade at the moment. Hey, okay. Yeah, thank you very good. much for taking my call. Yeah, thank you. Listen, this has been a fun conversation. We're in different worlds when it comes to how we manage money, but good luck to you, lady. You sound like you've been great. Okay? All right. Take care. Yep. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> that was a great call. I enjoyed that a whole bunch. And thank you. Folks, don't, that's not, if you listen to the show for a long time, that's not where we're coming from. And there are a few people in the world that can do that very well. And those are the only ones you probably read about in the news. You never read about the people who lost lots of money and go from there. But anyway, congratulations, lady. Good for you. And keep it up. Okay. All right. Getting back to... Does beneficiary designation overrule a will? The short answer is yes, but I'm going to need to do some reading to make sure about that, folks. Okay. Okay. Some financial products like life insurance or tax advantage retirement accounts require that you name one or more beneficiaries. However, that's not the case with many assets. For instance, you can buy a house or set up a savings account without designating who should receive it when you pass away. Okay. While beneficiary Beneficiary designations for specific financial products are necessary. They are not sufficient by themselves for creating a comprehensive financial plan. Alrighty, so the I think I have another caller. This is getting to be fun here this morning. Hang on one second. I'll hum for a second or two to them. Tim, do we have a caller? Alrighty. Let me go on here for a second then. Oh, we do have a car. All righty. Let's go to Eddie in Bourne. Good morning, Eddie. How are you today? All right. I'm a seasonal. I've been listening to you for a number of years, and I always like your good sense. And I thought you handled the last caller very nicely because you were consistent as your usual. You can't be short-term, can't try and pinpoint that lady who's trying to overthink the market. Very difficult because human psychology is very hard to predict except for greed and fear. (laughs) By the way, thank you. Do you want to take the rest of the show for me, Eddie? I can go home now if you'd like. (laughs) No, listen, if I had to have a financial advisor, my money is mostly with Vanguard. Yeah. Not particularly happy now with all the 
growth there. They don't have the same care they have with Mr. Brennan. Yep. He was to Mr. Bogle. He was the best. Yep. And all I know is when I wrote, uh, I wrote a few letters to him, mostly positive. One of them was negative. Yep. Always got a short answer. It's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. By the way, Eddie. Good. Eddie, my name is Mike. By the way. So anyway, keep on going. All right. Okay. So, like I said, you in particular, Anna, you two seem to team with your son-in-law. Uh, is he your only son-in-law, Mr. Reed? Yeah, he's my favorite and only son-in-law. And then there's my son. Yeah, by the way, we've been doing shows together for a while. And for a while, my uh -huh. son, Justin, and my daughter, Alyssa, have been doing the other ones. We mix it up from time to time. But, yep, he's my only son-in-law and favorite son-in-law. <laughs> Okay, that, I figured that would be the only diplomatic way of doing it. Otherwise, you would engender animosity in your own family and your work and your partners. It would have to be. Uh, you two seem to be a, a, a very good pair. How can I say? I, not going into my history, because I had money with, with New York City and Alabama stocks for a very long time, and then I outsmarted myself by trying to get out of the market in yeah. 2012. Eddie, can I interrupt for a second? Eddie, I'd like to continue. I'd like to continue this discussion with you. Don't go away. We're going to have to take a break. It'll only be a couple minutes. Okay. That's okay. Thank you. Stay tuned. Don't go away. We'll be right back, folks. When it comes to securing your financial future, trust matters. That's why McNamara Financial, a family-owned company, is here for you. As a family-owned company, we understand the importance of your financial well-being. That's why our team of expert financial advisors is committed to your success. At McNamara Financial, we take your trust seriously. That's why all our financial advisors are fiduciaries and certified financial planners, putting your best interests first. With our team of dedicated professionals, you can rest assured that you're receiving top-notch expertise tailored to your unique goals. Don't leave your financial future to chance. Trust McNamara Financial, where family values meet financial expertise. Visit our website or call us to schedule a consultation today. McNamara Financial, securing your financial future one step at a time. We're back. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money, and I hope that we're still talking with Eddie in Bourne. Eddie, are you still there? Yes, Mr. McNamara, I'm oh, here. It's uh, Eddie. Mike. It's Mike, okay, number one. And number okay. two, what's on your mind? Take your time. Uh, okay. Like I said, I, it's always enjoyable listening to you, even if all the information is not pertinent. You pick up other things. For example, you're telling me about how... The baby boomers, so that's 1946 to 64. A lot of them are not prepared for retirement. My God, if I'm my age and I was born in 47, but you're in bad shape if you're not prepared. And what I'm afraid of is somewhere down the line there's going to be terrible political repercussions if people don't have enough money to retire. And we won't go into that further because you're always very careful never <laughs> to lean one way or the other, although your demeanor and your method of thinking could only denote one political party, which we won't go into because you're very, you don't want to alienate. By the way, but, I wish we had you know, more political parties, Eddie. Actually, but that's another story. Yep, go ahead. You don't want to end up. You don't want to end up like Italy, Mike. The best example. Yep. Italy. Not that I'm criticizing Italian because I yep. live with an Italian. Understand? And she's very sweet. Okay. I've always done my own taxes, and sometimes I try to keep things simple. For example, using muni bonds where you don't have to worry about you don't have to worry about adding that onto your income. Yep. Okay, probably way, way, way too much and try to avoid, try to buy in when it's smaller and try not to panic, although I learned that lesson a long time ago too, especially Good. since the IRS is so much more efficient now using their computers, but we won't go into that either. But 
I also do my own taxes because years and years and years ago, I learned a little bit when I worked for H&R Block in a minor capacity. But I hate doing taxes. I was very late this year. Fortunately, they owed me a few dollars, so it didn't make any difference. But this, all this rebalancing, if you rebalance in a, in, a, in a retirement fund, then you don't have to worry about capital gains. But doing that stuff on a taxable account, if you're rebalancing, even I don't know, I don't know what the rule would be. It would be well over a year. You're supposed to look at it every year and review it. But it, it would be a pain. It's for it's for a lot of extra heartache and headache but having to account for that on on a on a Schedule D, and then this new form eighty nine forty nine. Yeah. Uh, last year I did, but the bonds were were really crapping out. I I sold some new uh, some beauty bonds only because. <laughs> I live in New York State, and the New York State finally caught up to me and f- and found out it was a small, it's a relatively small amount. So I said, okay. As it turned out, just to show you how you can make mistakes, it went down a little more, but now it's actually higher than when I sold it. So yeah. if I had hold on to it, okay, all I would have had to do is declare it on my income tax, like I did this yep. year. But it's doing it's doing income tax. I know you believe in a, a tax accountant. You believe in an accountant, an investor, an advisor, an insurance man. I don't have any of those things. I never did. So I, so I've made mistakes maybe because of that. But at least I haven't incurred the expense. Yeah. But the balancing is you never. You, I don't think you address that. But it's doing the ta- income tax form. Yep. That's a bummer on balancing unless it's within a retirement. Well, account. by the way, so let me. That's a that's a good topic. Let's chat about that. So first of all, so re- rebalancing. So here's a generic thought, okay? So my generic thought is if you're investing just to avoid taxes, I'm not sure if you're going to get the best investment returns. No, no, I I realize that. Or, Or if I said that differently, if you were investing and you had a big tax bill, I would congratulate you because you still got to keep most of what was left of things. I'm sorry, go ahead. I know, I've heard that before from you. Yep. You're very consistent because yep. when, when you listen to an expert, and I consider yep. you an expert, but there are many pseudo-experts, charlatans, yep. financial charlatans yep. out there. If they're not consistent with the same answer, yep. then you know that, just believe it or not, I'm a Western, Western movies. John Wayne once said to Hank Warden in many of his movies, one of his actors, always tell the truth because you'll never have to remember how you lied. <laughs> to match what you said before. And Eddie, let me do an example of not rebalancing to avoid taxes, which I would consider not a good thing. So let's just pretend you have a portfolio that's 50% stocks and 50% bonds, and let's just pretend to be simple. Okay, you buy the S&P 500 for your stocks, and you buy the bond market, a total bond market investment from Vanguard for your bonds. So now you've got a very diversified 50-50 stock and bond. Okay, Okay, if you... If the Vanguard piece goes up 20% this year, okay, and you don't sell it, you've avoided some capital gains taxes. I understand that, okay? But if you never rebalanced, pretty soon you wouldn't have the 50-50 that that was your strategy. The stock position would continuously grow higher over time, and that may run counter to somebody's individual financial plan sort of a thing. So my my generic comment, we're having a good discussion. My generic comment is that if you 
generate some taxes as a result of your investments. Okay, if you if your tax is twenty percent, you got to keep eighty percent that you didn't have last year if you had a twenty percent tax, and that's the way I'd look at it. Eddie, I got a quick question for you. I'm going to let you go. So, are you on the canal side of Bourne or on the main? Uh, I'm on the on Cape side of Bourne in Monument Beach. If you know where that is, I just bought a place in Katamit, and I love that whole area. I want to tell you, it's just charming, charming, charming. It's like old school Cape Cod down there. So, how long have you been down there? We visited my uncle in 87. We he, uh, we were using it since 91, and we bought in 95. Wow. A small condo, for, for, for a small condo further north, Sea Watch. So it's, it's a three miles down Route 28, yeah. off to the right side. All right. It's a charming I, part of the world. I just love it down there. It's beautiful. So good. Tom has that little village, right? Yeah. Little yeah. Village. So, so you live in... There once or twice. Yeah. So you're living the dream in retirement, Eddie. I love it. And listen, by the way, thank you for the call. We had two... Oh, abs- I enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, by the way, what we had is we had two bookend telephone calls about what the show is about and what it's not about. And I think it's great. So listen, be well and maybe she I'll see you sometime. Me. Be well and maybe oh, I'll yes, see you sometime there in Monument Beach. Okay, Eddie? Okay, thank you very much, Mike. Oh, thank you for the call. I appreciate that. Have a great day. Say okay, bye. Yep, bye-bye. Okay, folks, that was uh, th- those two calls were absolutely perfect. We have a lady who's been pretty bright and pretty smart and pretty darn successful doing what I would call some shorter-term investment betting, okay? She might disagree with the term, but that's my term. Uh, and she's been very successful at it, okay? And she's even measured her success, so she had an answer for me when I asked her how she was doing versus her benchmark. So congratulations to... to I'm sorry, Tim, what was her name? I forget. Karen. Karen, Karen again, congratulations. Congratulations, and thank you for the call because it pointed out what this show is not about, okay? We're not about short-term, I'm going to use my terms now to not offend it. We're not about making short-term bets about the future on financial and political things we know nothing about, okay? We take the long-term picture by saying, if you're comfortable with capitalism and you own a few thousand companies in your portfolio, which you can do easily with mutual funds, and if you own those companies long enough, probably most of them are going to still be in business and make more money because that's what they do, and you're probably going to be a bit wealthier over time, okay, and buying the stock market and enjoying a stock market return is a lot. The odds of success being a long-term investor and owning quality companies for very long term they're just higher than being a short-term, I want to be used in several different terms, a short-term trader, a short-term investor, a short-term make bets and moves on asset allocation. So those were two awesome calls from my point of view. You couldn't draw a much clearer line. So no hot stock tips here, no guesses about the recession because I don't have a clue proud of it. I figured out a long time ago, if you buy the markets and be patient and match things up to your own set of circumstances, eh, you're probably okay. Who knows? Anyway, talking about beneficiary designations, okay? Okay, a beneficiary designation assigns a person or party to receive benefits from a financial product, such as a retirement account or a life insurance policy. Okay, uh, I'm not sure how much time I can spend on this, but this is pretty simple, folks, okay? There are some kinds of financial products where you're required to name a beneficiary. Certainly a life insurance contract, certainly uh, an annuity, and by the way, certainly any kind of a retirement plan. If you have an IRA or a Roth IRA or a 401k or a 403b, you're required to name a beneficiary on that account. And if you don't name a beneficiary, 
I think bad things happen. So let me try to explain, okay? And we'll use an IRA as an example. Husband and wife, two kids, okay? It's the husband's IRA, okay? More than likely, he would name his wife as the primary beneficiary on that contract. And more than likely, okay, if he and his wife died at the same time, he would name his two kids as contingent beneficiaries or backup beneficiaries on that that IRA. Okay, that's just a standard, pretty much normal designation. You can do that on a life insurance product. You can do that on your pension plan. You can do that on your 401k. You can do that on an annuity. Okay, and when, you know, if, let, let's take another example. A single retired person okay, has his three children named as beneficiaries. That single retirement person dies. Those three children directly and automatically inherit each one-third of that asset if he designated them in those percentages, okay? The key point about beneficiaries is that they do not go through probate. They do not go through a will. They are not connected to a will or probate, and they are a priority choice, okay? So if that fella who or that lady, the single person died, and they didn't have a will, because they designated the IRA with beneficiaries, if that was their only asset, okay, then I guess they didn't need a will because their money went directly to the kids, okay? Okay, so a beneficiary designation supersedes a will in virtually any case that I can think of, given the circumstances, and there are a whole bunch of people who don't know that, okay? Okay, if you have a will, okay, and name beneficiaries in your will, probably the things that the beneficiaries would inherit, okay, would be your property and your bank accounts because you probably already did name beneficiaries on your retirement plan or life insurance, okay? Is that confusing? Maybe a little bit, okay? Should you pay attention to it? Maybe a lot, okay? Naming beneficiaries, okay, assigning percentages, uh, figuring out priorities, and trying to wade through all that mess. And by the way, if you add in trusts to that equation, uh, all I'm saying is there's a lot of moving parts, okay? It's pretty simple if you understand the basics, but it's astounding to me over the years how many people don't really quite understand how all that works, I think. Yeah, we have lots of financial stuff to worry about and things change all the time, but the beneficiary designation thing has not changed for a long time. Okay, one other comment about beneficiaries. Okay, on pretty much on most bank accounts, I'm being generic here, Okay, you can establish what's called a transfer on death, okay, provision to your checking account or your savings account or your CD, okay, and it doesn't have to be in a retirement plan. If you're a single person with a checking and a savings account at a local bank and you have three kids, okay, theoretically you could walk into the bank if you chose to and say, I would like to establish a transfer on death account for my checking and my savings. All that means is that you can put beneficiaries on there. So there are some other types of financial products where you can add beneficiaries, 
but you might have to ask about it because it's not particularly common knowledge. <laughs> My guess is, by the way, if you're the bank or if you're the investment firm like ours, it's a pain in the neck to get squared away with beneficiaries. You've got to go find them. And th- there's work, okay, taking an IRA and div- dividing it up into three pieces from our point of view and establishing children accounts and whether they take the money, date, to change the strategy. There's a whole lot of work. And I just chuckle, banks don't particularly advertise that you can have transfer and death accounts for your checking and savings accounts. My <clears throat> generic guess is that might be because there's some work involved. But that pretty much applies for most bank accounts. And if you don't have a will, please, oh, please have beneficiaries and everything you can have. But I guess the second part of that is, okay, everybody should have a will as a basic instrument. But if you've got beneficiaries on your IRA and your 401k and your insurance policies and you just own your home and a few other things, those are the things that the will control, okay, Anything with a named beneficiary skips probate, goes directly to kids, and that's just how it is. I don't know if I explained that okay, but that's how the deal works, folks. If you have any questions about that, ask the folks at the pension or ask the folks at Fidelity or ask the folks at McNamara Financial what the heck's going on, how does it all work sort of a thing. So, yes, it's important to have beneficiaries and make sure you know who they are. And, by the way, check on them once in a while because people die, beneficiaries die, stuff gets changed in the laws. There's all kinds of things that happen given those circumstances. Alrighty, let me see. This is going to take too long. I'm going to save this one for next week, okay? Uh, And I'm going to save that one for next week, but I'm going to do this one. Yeah, okay, hang on a second. Wait a minute now. Here we go. So this is an article from Yahoo Finance that came from Fortune Magazine that was written by a fellow by the name of Will Daniel on July 11th of 2023. Therefore, now I have given credits. Billionaire investor Howard Marks looks back on five times he outwitted the market from 2000 to 2020. And here are three key lessons he learned, okay? This is going to take a while, folks, and I might even have to continue this on my next show, but Howard Marks is a a standout guy. He speaks English. Yep, he's a rich guy, okay? And he does, he manages some investments and writes some investment articles. He's just a plain, sensible, understanding kind of a guy, and I read anything I can find by him. Okay, here we go. Let's see. If you ask Howard Marks how he made his $2.2 billion fortune, he might describe decades of work as an analyst at Citicorp, a leading high-yield debt and investment convertible securus office at TCW Group in the 80s, and his ever-lucrative investments in luxury properties. But of course, the key calls Marks made after funding Oak Tree Capital Management in 1995 have made the bulk of his earnings. In fact, he now says that five prophetic predictions built his reputation as a legend on Wall Street, and he truly is. Wait a minute, what's this guy McNamara talking about? Market crashes and stuff, he just bad-mouthed those. Okay, this, the macroeconomic point on all of this is that human behavior either creates or destroys wealth, okay, and what you do about things that you can control are much more important than other things, okay? So anyway, okay, I'm going to go through five different 
market scenarios. Some were good, some were bad. And every one of them, the subject of the discussion was what people were doing. The short story is when markets go down, people are nervous and fearful and selling. And when markets go up, people are greedy and stupid and buying. Okay. And Okay, if you're trying to make some educated guesses about what people are doing, I really wish you luck on that set of circumstances. So here we go. Okay, let's see. So the 2000s, I'm going to go through five scenarios where he was pretty prophetic. But the point is not that. The point is what's going on and what people are doing here. In 1999, as the dot-com bubble grew day by day, legendary financial journalist Charlie Edward Chancellor released a book that helped make his reputation, Devil Take the Hindmost, which details the history of speculation from ancient Rome through the railway mania of the 19th century. When Marx read Chancellor's book that year, he wrote that he was struck by the similarities between the speculative bubbles of old and the meteoric rise of tech stocks at the time. This was 2000, folks. Okay, seeing this market distortion, Marx wrote a memo to clients entitled Bubble.com. I love it. In January of 2000, just two months before the bubble began to burst, warning that internet-linked equities were overvalued and that speculative mania had taken hold of investors. We got another one going here, folks. The lure of easy profits, the willingness to leave one's day job to cash in, the ability to invest blithely in money-losing companies whose business models one can't explain. All these felt like themes that had rhymed over the course of financial history, leading to bubbles and the painful bursting. All of them were visible to investor behavior as 1999, were visible in investor behavior as 1999 came to an end. Let me recreate 1999, folks. Maybe you experienced it, and if you did, it was probably bad. There was a whole lot of, the internet has been created. There were a whole lot of companies producing technology software and technology programs, and there was a whole bunch of really great, wonderful tech companies that were created, some of which survived, and people were buying tech companies that didn't have any earnings, okay, and didn't have any sales, but the idea sounded so great that how can you possibly miss this? And for a couple of years, starting in late 99 and until about 2000, 2001, people were buying companies at stupid prices because they thought the world was going to be absolutely changed and made better and better and they're going to make millions of dollars or whatever. It was an absolute classic investment bubble fueled by human greed and stupidity. And that's the point, okay, that I'm trying to make here. We get caught up Okay, with greed, that's the simple description of what it is, okay, and great investment stories about the things that can't miss. Okay, and that time 
we had a cleansing. When we have markets that go higher and get stupid and become overvalued, we have the forever, we got to get back to the median crash to level things out to where they were. I wish the world could be smoother than bubbles and crashes, but that's just the way it works in the financial industry. Okay, and the bottom line one, this was a terrible one. Okay, I also want to be crystal clear that some of those companies, precious few percentage-wise, became world-class companies that rule the world these days. We're talking about Microsoft and Apple and Facebook and Google and Meta and a few other things and Amazon. Okay, so there were some good things that came out of that. But there were a whole bunch of people who lost a whole bunch of money due to greed. And that's the point I'm trying to make with this article. Okay, so that was the 2000 tech bubble. I guess that's what it was known after the fact. The next mess we're going to talk about is the 2007, I think it's now called the global financial crisis. Between October 2004 and July of 2007, Marx repeatedly warned that there was a slow developing train wreck on the way. He noted that the Federal Reserve had turned to a commentative monetary policy after the dot-com bubble burst, which led to savings accounts <clears throat> and typical safe assets okay, offering poor returns that forced investors to go look for crazier things to invest in. So here's the deal, folks. Okay, the Federal Reserve starts lowering interest rates, okay, after the mess, okay, in 2001-02. Okay, interest rates are going down, okay. They went down to pretty much zero about 2015 or so. <clears throat> and people who were used to earning lots of money in money markets, these CDs, all of a sudden they were paying nothing. What's a person to do if I'm earning 1% or a half percent of my savings account? They're going to start looking around for other things to do with their money that are more profitable, translation more brave. So one of the things that fueled this global financial crisis was lower interest rates, okay, to get over the 2000 mess. But these lower interest rates forced people to leave savings accounts and do silly things that bought companies that were expensive and bought real estate that was expensive and all things crash in my world sooner or later. So in 2007 in July, getting near the top of that thing before it crashed, Marx published a memo sarcastically entitled, It's All Good, where he warned that investors were feeling far too optimistic and ignoring risks, meaning a recession was likely on the way. Five months later, the global financial crisis began, leading Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers to collapse and the S&P 500 to fall 53% from its high in 2007 to its bottom in 2009. Okay, I'm not going to obviously finish this, folks, but the point is very simple. Okay, we have times in the financial markets where people and institutions get greedy for whatever reasons, and they drive up the prices of things that they think can make the money beyond reason and beyond reality. Okay, and eventually the people in the world figure out that this greed developed a bubble that burst and everything that bursts goes back to where it was before. So the S&P 500 lost half in two years. If you weren't prepared for that, you were in trouble. And my point it was is that people created that because they were greedy. Greed and fear, that's what determines stock markets up or down and you don't want to get involved in that. Stay tuned. We'll get back to this next time I'm on the air. And 
Have a great week.